0: Welcome to the Crossview Church message of the week. We hope you enjoy the message this morning. For more information, visit us at mycrossview.com. Well, today we are wrapping up our series in the book of Galatians, uh, and we're going to work through our understanding of what it means to have freedom in Christ. What does freedom mean to Christian. Now, you might think I'm a week behind. We celebrated freedom last Sunday, but that's a very different kind of freedom than what we're talking about today. And if you're following along, we're going to be in Galatians chapter 5. Well, if you recall, at the very beginning of this series, Pastor Kyle was teaching from uh, the second chapter of Galatians, and uh, he talked about how uh, Paul described a conflict that he had with the Apostle Peter. The Apostle Paul and the Apostle Peter, the bigwigs of the early Christian church that led, uh, respectively, the Gentile church and the Jewish church. And they had a a, a public conflict. Paul had confronted Peter uh, for hypocrisy, which was a pretty serious charge. Peter had proclaimed the good news of Jesus, He had affirmed that that good news was for everyone, and that because of Jesus, Christians, whether Jew or Gentile, were no longer bound by Jewish religious law. And the question at hand really had to do specifically with the uh, religious practice of circumcision. See, Peter had, uh, had affirmed these things. He said, yes, of course, When we're in Jesus, we have freedom in him, and we are no longer bound by these laws, no longer required. But then some religious legalists came along, and in their presence, Peter buckled under the weight of their opinion, and he shunned the Gentile Christians who didn't follow Jewish practice. It really was kind of a first-century version of every teen high school movie ever where you have to replace the heartthrob with a uh, a middle-aged, hot-headed guy with a beard and a robe, and that's Peter, right? And then, uh, you know, they pretend, or they don't pretend, they welcome their best friend. They have this loving and loyal best friend that they hang out with and they welcome and they're just best buds until the cool kids come along, right? And then the main character kind of Backs away from the best friend and says, "You're not. You're not one of us, and you can't sit at our lunch table." Which is exactly what Peter did. He refused to eat uh, with the Gentile Christians because of the cool kids who followed all the rules. And that might be where the where the analogy fails. But so uh, Paul called him out. Right? Paul reminded Peter that. Uh, As Christians, as followers of Jesus, legalism has absolutely no place uh, among the people of Jesus because in Jesus, we have freedom. We have freedom from the tyranny of sin, but we also have freedom from the condemnation of the law. Listen to what Paul says in Galatians chapter 5. This is a little while after his his conflict with Peter. And this is uh, in verses 13 and 14. He says, You were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only don't let this freedom be an opportunity to indulge your selfish impulses, but serve each other through love. All the law has been fulfilled in a single statement. Love your neighbor as yourself. I love that statement. You were called to freedom. We have been called to freedom. Isn't that good news? It's good news. But what does it mean? Well, Paul tells us that we are free in two significant ways. And, and one we've kind of already explored, but we're just going to dive deeper today. We are free, first of all, from the law. We're just no longer bound by the restrictions and the rules and the regulations that made up the Jewish religious law. That law was given to us by God, but it was a, it was a placeholder. It was uh, a way for us to remain in covenant with God, even during the time when, uh, when the brokenness of the world separated us from God. So God created us for relationship with him. And from the very beginning, his plan was that he would be our God and we would be his people. And in that way, we would live in in shalom, in his perfect peace, in the completeness of relationship with him. But sin broke that shalom. It broke our relationship with God. But did you know that from the very moment That sin came into the world from the very moment that our our relationship, our shalom with God was broken. From that moment, God reached out to offer healing and to offer reconciliation. Pastor Kyle's been talking about this. He's he's mentioned God's rescue plan uh, that, that God initiated just as soon as our life was separated from him. And we see this in the very beginning in Genesis, in chapter 3, uh, Adam and Eve had sinned. The, the first sin, sin entered the world. They had deliberately and knowingly disobeyed God. And then we see in verse 7 of uh, Genesis chapter 3, that when they sinned, let's go forward here, when they sinned, that at that moment of sin, their eyes were open and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. When they made the choice to break away from the shalom of relationship with God, they realized that they were naked. In other words, they realized at that moment that they were exposed to shame. But see what God does right away, right then, the very same day, It says, toward evening, they heard the Lord God walking about in the garden, so they hid themselves among the trees. Remember, Adam and Eve are ashamed at this point. And then the Lord God called to Adam. What did he say? It's on the screen, guys. (laughs) Where are you? Adam, where are you? Right away. Right away, God began to look for his people and to call them back into relationship with him. And when they responded in in their nakedness, in their exposure of shame, God responded to them with compassion by covering them. The creation story in Genesis says that he made uh, clothing for them, took the skin of animals, and made coverings for Adam and Eve so that they were no longer shamefully exposed. That was the first step. That was God's immediate response to to the the brokenness uh, that we were in when sin entered the world. It wasn't complete, it wasn't shalom. It was more like first aid. It was just stop the bleeding. And there were many, many, many more steps to come along the way. So many additional steps to, to reach and to maintain some measure of health in relationship with God. And all of those steps collectively fell under the umbrella of the law. That's what we find in the, in the Old Testament. The law was a means of grace given by God to his people as a way for their shame to be covered so that they could be in relationship with him. It was very complex. It involved uh, a sacrificial system. Pastor Kyle's talked about that a little bit. It involved a, a priestly lineage and many, many, many rules and rituals of holiness. But for all of its complexity, it wasn't complete. It wasn't shalom. The people were not healed of their sin or, or of their brokenness that the sin had brought, but they were covered. Their shame was covered by the law. And then came Jesus. The perfect and the complete fulfillment of the law. Jesus is the the, the embodiment of shalom, of completeness and peace. When Jesus died on the cross, he said these words, his final words. He said, it is finished, complete, shalom. The law in all of its complexity was fulfilled. And in that moment, in that very moment, the people of God no longer needed the covering of the law because they no longer carried the shame of sin. Jesus brought perfect healing and reconciliation between God and humanity. He restored us to communion with God so that he will be our God and so that we will be his people we no longer have to be separated from God by our sin and by our brokenness. Jesus himself became our pathway to God. And so in that way, we no longer have need of the law. So when Paul says that we have freedom in Christ, one really significant aspect of that is that we, uh, we are free from the law. The religious law. We're no longer bound by its restraints or its rules or its regulations because those things are no longer necessary for us to have a relationship with God. Now, I can see your faces starting, to What? Where is she going? <laughs> but we'll get there. So if we continue to live as if the law were necessary, if we continue to, to, to say that we need these things as a pathway to God, it would be like continuing to wear a cast after the bone has healed, right? It would, be, it would be restricting. It inhibits growth, and it's just not necessary. In the early church, when some Christians started to live as if the law were still necessary, Paul called that out as hypocrisy and as false teaching, and he insisted on a clear understanding and practice of freedom in Jesus, which includes freedom from the law. Why would Christians cling to something as burdensome as the law when doing so is unnecessary? I mean, we can look back a couple thousand years at the early church and say that they should have been quicker to get it, right? They should have been quicker to let go of the weight of the old law. They should have recognized this gift of freedom that Jesus gives them. They must have just been really stubborn, right? But we can see ourselves in them, can't we? Legalism is still a significant struggle in the church. We can still pretty easily fall into the trap of thinking that our relationship with God is defined and measured by how well we follow particular rules, uh, many of which we made up. Why do we do that? Well, Paul mentions two potential reasons, and honestly, they both sting a little bit. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 12, Paul says, whoever wants to look good by human standards will try to get you to be circumcised. And, and, and again, remember, that's the religious issue of the day. It's really representative of, we'll try to get you to follow the religious laws. They do this only so they won't be harassed for the cause of Christ. Whoever wants to look good by human standards, stings a little bit. Sometimes Christians make up and follow religious rules so that we'll look good to other people. In the Galatian church, this was very specific. Remember, Pastor Kyle uh, talked about how the Jewish Christians were kind of trying to, uh, to hide in the shadows of the law so that they wouldn't draw the attention of the Roman government. Because Rome had this really delicate agreement with the Jewish people, and in that agreement, the Jewish people were, were uh, allowed an exemption from worshiping the Roman idols. And of course, Christians wanted that exemption as well. So many of them tried to kind of keep a, some semblance of, of Judaism, of Jewishness, so that they would stay off of Rome's radar. They did not want to be harassed just because they were Christians. Well, we don't necessarily have those same circumstances uh, that the early Christians had today, but, but we do have the same tendency to want to look good by human standards, right? I certainly do. And we can fall into the trap of seeking human approval by following religious rules many of which we've made up. Maybe it's a rule about about the way that we dress or about what we eat or what we drink, how we worship, how we vote. Maybe we spiritualize it and say, well, it's not really a rule, of course. We're not subject to the law anymore, but it is a sign of a devout faith. This is where we might take on a a holier-than-thou attitude, and our law becomes our Lord. We cling to the law because we want to look good by human standards. The other reason that Paul gives for Christians uh, insisting on clinging to the law is found a little earlier uh, in the book in chapter 5, verse 4, still in Galatians. And he starts like this. You people who are trying to be made righteous by the law. This is really important. If we're still trying to be made righteous by the law, by what we do or what we don't do, then we do not understand the holistic and and death-shattering and life-giving grace of Jesus when Jesus declared that it is finished, when he restored us to completeness, to to his shalom, from that moment on, our righteousness was to be found only in him. There was nothing left for the law to do. It's fulfilled. The law is satisfied. We no longer need to cover our shame because in Jesus, we no longer have shame. Listen to how serious and dangerous it is to rely on the law to make us righteous. The, the entirety of verse 4 that we just started says this. You people who are trying to be made righteous by the law have been estranged from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. To put ourselves under the law is to put ourselves uh, as a means of righteousness, is to put ourselves right back to where we were before Jesus, right back to being separated from God. If we're trying to be made righteous by the law, we fall away from grace. Now, we use that term sometimes, right? We've heard that when someone has fallen from grace. And usually when we say that, what we mean is an individual has committed uh, an offense that has made them look bad. That they have said something or done something that just makes it obvious that their private life has not been congruent with the image that they have projected publicly. We talk about falling from grace as if doing so is caused by breaking the rules but what the Bible says is that we fall from grace when we try to save ourselves through the law. Maybe when we uh, insist on following a certain set of religious rules, maybe we aren't doing that out of a concern for what others think. Maybe we're holding on to uh, this fear that our righteousness depends on what we do. Nothing could be further from the truth. We are free from the law because Jesus fulfilled it. What the Bible says is that, uh, pardon me, I lost my place here, is that we are made righteous by Jesus and made righteous by Jesus alone, not by our works, not what we do, not a set of regulations. Jesus finished the work and he restored us to his shalom and in that we are free. But this news gets better because we're not only free in Christ from something, free from sin, although that's glorious news just in itself. But we are also free to something, freed to a new purpose and to a new life Look again at the first part of today's passage. Paul says, You were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only don't let this freedom be an opportunity to indulge your selfish impulses, but serve each other through love. It would be really easy to say that because we're free from the confines of sin and the confines of the law, that we can do whatever we want. But that is not what freedom means to a follower of Jesus. As Christians, our freedom is not a license to act as we please, not at all. It's so much bigger and so much better than that. We're free to serve, Paul says. And why? Because we've experienced the love of Jesus who came to serve. And there's simply no no better response to his love than to share it with others. We're free to serve and we're free to love. And this is is really important for us to to understand in our particular culture today. Because in our country, in the United States, we place a tremendous value on freedom. Right? Right? The founding principle of our country and really of democracy in general. And so we use this word and it's important and we value it and it's good, but it's really important for us to understand that the freedom we have in Jesus has nothing to do with our, our freedom as Americans. They're just completely different, but we tend to get them mixed up sometimes. It's easy to let a, to, to let ourselves think that the freedom that we have as Americans that we value is somehow connected to the freedom that we have in Jesus, and that's it's a dangerous thing to mix. We've seen this over and over again uh, in recent history, and it's it's just not true. The kingdom of God has not made an alliance with the United States. Now, we may be citizens of both, many of us are are citizens of both, but they cannot hold equal authority in our lives. I know I've said it before, but there's just no such thing as secondary citizenship in the kingdom of God. We are not Americans first and then followers of Jesus, it has to be the other way around. If you're part of the kingdom of God, then that belonging transcends any other belonging that you may have. Now, Do we have rights and liberties as Americans? Yeah, sure. And I'm grateful for them. There are many privileges and many benefits of living here. And uh, and many of them are rooted in truth. And as such, they're worth defending. But... The freedom that we have in our country is paltry compared to the freedom that we have in Jesus. And if we use our, uh, our, our democratic freedom, our American freedom, for the purpose of advancing our own interests uh, or our own comfort at the expense of others, particularly the poor and the marginalized who Jesus says are blessed then we forfeited the freedom that we have in Jesus, the freedom that love brings, the freedom to serve. Any time that we cling to our own rights or comfort or interest, we become enslaved to those things. It's not real freedom. Real freedom doesn't cling Real freedom is found in in, in releasing our grip on all the things that would hold us captive, including our own comfort and interest, and standing before God with open hands in worship, in open hands to receive his love, and with open hands to serve in his name. Freedom in Jesus is kingdom freedom. Freedom. It's Eden freedom. It's the freedom to live in unabashed love with God, which will inevitably lead us to loving others. It's the freedom that we were created for. Let's not settle for anything less. So how do we do it? How do we live in the freedom that we have in Jesus, not reverting to our old ways of living under the oppressive restraints of the law, but also not claiming license to do whatever we want? Paul tells us in uh, in verse 16, which Pastor Kyle talked about last week, he said, So I advise you to live according to your new life in the Holy Spirit, then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves live your life in the holy spirit the answer to legalism is to live in the holy spirit the answer to self-centered liberties is to live in the holy spirit it's important to note here that the Spirit of God does not represent a balance between those two problems. God doesn't give us a compromise or some sort of happy medium between law and license. No, he offers us freedom, which completely does away with both. One scholar put it like this, It is by no means a middle course between them, but a highway above them all. It's a new way, and we are invited to walk in this new way, neither law nor license, but the freedom of Jesus. It's a way of love, which neither the law nor self-centeredness can ever produce. It's what we were created for. It's the shalom of walking with God, in the cool of the evening, open and unashamed. Why would we ever choose anything else? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we uh, we struggle sometimes to understand the freedom that you've given us through Jesus. Maybe it's because we hear this word so often in our particular culture that it's hard to separate uh, our ideas of what freedom means. But in you, Lord, we know that we are free from the confines of, of the law, not to live for our own selfish interests, but to live for you and to serve others in your name. And we're so grateful for that opportunity. There's just nothing else like this, in our world there's no other freedom that that allows us to love so openly to uh, to to share your blessings so well lord to live without shame nowhere else are we invited to live without shame but in you jesus we're grateful for this offer help us to walk with you and to continue in your ways so that we can continue to be free and continue to share your love with others. We love you, Jesus. We're grateful for your gift. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.